Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, we're a little out of sync. It's Saturday afternoon. Normally, we record on Sunday mornings. And it's been a while since I bombarded you about a sports question. Uh-oh. Do you know what big event is coming up in the sports world? I do not. March Madness, baby. Oh. NCAA is that, tournament. Is that an event? Isn't that like a... It's not like a... <laughs> like a, The Super Bowl is an event. March Madness is like... That's a lot of games, right? Yeah. It's a stretched out event. I think it's a spectacle, an event. I would call it an event. No. I, I don't know. We might put out a Twitter poll here. Is, <laughs> is March Madness an event? I feel like I was set up for failure with that question. <laughs> Possibly so. Are you doing any fantasy leagues? Are you a big, big college basketball guy? I am not until March Madness starts. I love the tournament, but I watch almost no other college basketball games. And I love filling out brackets because then it makes me invested in rooting in some teams that I would not normally have a rooting interest for. And speaking of brackets and fantasy drafts, I am even more hyped for the Survivor <laughs> fantasy draft that you all talked about on your podcast. And yeah, I keep plugging your Survivor podcast on our Magic podcast, but I am very Look, excited to do a Survivor fantasy draft. I'll take it, baby. I'll take I'll take all the uh, the press I can get. There's no bad press right um how about uh how about moving away from the sports world to the gaming world how's the life of magic for you these days i did not get a chance to play much magic this week full disclosure i've done probably two to three drafts tops this week i had a really busy week at school we had students that had to have auditions submitted at the end of the week and then i took my middle school concert bands to their concert band contest this weekend and anybody in the music world knows that that is a pretty busy week. So I will be back to a normal amount of busy in the upcoming weeks and then spring break, baby. So eyes on the prize. Oh, OK, OK, OK. Yeah, excellent. So you'll be getting some some drafts and streams and then for sure. Yes. Yeah, I've been I've been maybe drafting enough for the both of us this week. I've been playing a lot of Neon Dynasty and I have actually we're going to do a little bit of a segment uh, in just a, a minute where I want to talk about some sweet decks that I drafted this week, just sort of check in on on what I've been brewing up and, and messing around with in Limited, because uh, I really feel like, especially last week's episode, really has informed a lot of what I've been doing. And I think it's going to inform a lot of what we're going to talk about today, which is just sort of a, hey, the format seems to have settled. I think we had maybe a metagame shift-ish um, in terms of folks figuring out the sagas and then things maybe being overdrafted and red preps being discovered as a diamond in the rough type deal. And then I think we just want to settle in on where we're at with the format, what things are dictating the format, you know, the rules of engagement, big picture stuff, all that good stuff about Neon Dynasty and, and see where we're at. Uh, but before we get into those things, first things first, we got to shout out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. We've got a lot of great perks over at the Patreon page. You can get access to our Discord, access to the episode before they get released to the general public. You can get access to a private section of our Discord, access to our deck picks and draft logs, and even some additional uh, Patreon feed content as well as some coaching sessions. So a lot of really sweet stuff over at the Patreon page. If you're interested in that, if you want to give back to the show. And of course, we want to shout out our new patrons the first week that they join. So this week we are welcoming Lee, Edward, Klaus, Kevin, Christopher, and Matthew. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah. Cannot say thank you enough. Show is also brought to you in part by Channel Fireball. Channelfireball.com. Best place to go for anything and everything you need magic related cfb pro is revamped re-updated it's better than ever we talked Ooh. about it last week but we've got that option for 9.99 a month plus 9.99 back in store credit available again which is sweet it's a win-win it's a great excuse to treat yourself to some extra content written by yours truly me you alex bunch of pros 
with money that you're going to spend on magic cards anyway. So if you're spending money at Channel Fireball and you're not on CFB Pro, you need to get on CFB Pro with that $9.99 a month option and get your $9.99 a month back in store credit. In addition to that, they've got some sweet giveaways that are going on with CFB Pro, so don't miss out. And in addition to that, there's CFB Extra, a newsletter, if you're not aware of that, um, that both you, I, Alex, write little tidbits for. You just get an email um, every day of the week with some magic news, which is a nice little perk, you know, maybe to brighten up your day at the office to, to just get a quick dose of magic uh, in the midst of all your work emails. Yeah, and that's additional content. That's not just like, you know, a preview of an article or whatever. It's just like specific stuff that's free written by a bunch of different folks over at Channel Fireball. And it's awesome. I really enjoy it. I like I even read the the commander ones or the constructed ones that come out every day. I just I like a little piece of magic content in my inbox. Heck yeah. And so for whatever you're doing over at Channel Fireball, please use code LOL, all caps, to let them know that we sent you over there. And I just want to reiterate, CFB has been great to both Ethan and I, and we want you to give back to CFB. Yeah, could not endorse that more. All right, Ben, I wanna, I'm going to run you through a few decks that I've drafted this week, and then maybe you can run me through uh, one of your draft logs from this week. How about that? Let's do it. I lived vicariously through you on Twitter. I saw all these decks, and I was salivating over them. <laughs> okay, so first things first, I told you I was going to mess around with some shrines, and I finally lived the dream with all five shrines in one deck. Ooh, tell me more. So it's a it's a base white blue deck with lots of ways to like dig for stuff. You know, I have double era of enlightenment. I have an imperial oath, triple moonfolk puzzle maker as like, you know, just a thing to block, but also, you know, tap and scry to dig towards the shrines. And then, you know, green, red, black, white and blue shrines all in the deck, plus not one, but two copies of Shrine Steward. I am loving this and a responsible looking mana base. It seems you have double uncharted haven and one of each basic to go get. Wait, mm-hmm. you don't have... I don't have a terrarium, yeah. Oh, I'm a little a disappointed. I, I Look, had I seen one in the draft, I would have taken it, but I did not see one. <laughs> um, yeah, and a Behold the Unspeakable, an inventive iteration. It's just like powerful sagas to have. So yeah, uh, I got wrecked in match one, but then got the 2-1, uh, you know, the, the pleb trophy at the end of the draft there. Uh, and that was... Uh, was pretty good i'm still like shrines are fun i'm not really convinced that they're that good still did you ever assemble shrine tron like all five no they just they they get got so easily like you know it's it's hard you get like two of them for a couple turns and you feel like you're doing it like anything beyond that feels pretty rare to me yeah i am still very in on the junk shrines the black the white and the green yes i think especially the green and the white ones i will just kind of play i think you just play those on their own a lot of the time like i think the green one by itself in a green deck is fine because green decks are going late and i think the white one depending on what your deck is like and especially you know your four drop slot can get clogged but i think you i I would play the white one by itself the other three i would not i would play the white and the green happily by themselves yeah maybe the black depending on if i needed enchantments or cared about enchantments it's tough. Like the black one, I feel like sometimes it just wrecks your opponent's board. And other times I'm like, it took me a long time, actually, because I thought I think I thought it dealt damage. So I think like <laughs> there were times where like I would chump attack with something like into an X2 or X3 and then play this shrine. And then I'd be like, ah, sick. I can't wait. No, this doesn't deal damage at all. This only kills <laughs> things with toughness one or two or whatever. Yeah, um, I don't know. But I guess four mana two two death touch like it still is going to trade with something. So. Yeah, I think mostly it's where your four drop slot is at with whether or not you're going to run the black shrine as a right. And also just to clarify my junk comment, for those of you that are newer <laughs> to the game, I, that meant Abzan. Like before Abzan and Mardu and all those shard names existed, 
things were called like bug and black, white, green happened to be called junk for whatever reason. So that's what I was referring to there. I think I think it was a play on Jund, right, which was red, green, black. And so white, green, black was junk. I think that's why that's what it was called. Know your magic meme. But I could be wrong. could be very wrong. We're both outing <laughs> ourselves as incredible, uh, incredible boomers here. Okay, so then I had what I believe to be the best deck I've ever drafted in the format and will ever draft in the format. So this was a green, white oops, all recursion deck that had brilliant restoration, which is the quad white three sorcery return all artifact and enchantment cards from your graveyard to the battlefield invoke justice, the quad white and a one sorcery return target permanent card from your graveyard to the battlefield, then distribute four plus plus one counters among any number of creatures and or vehicles target player controls. I want to just quick pause and talk about invoke justice. I think this card is pretty underrated still. I think people are really afraid of this mana cost and don't get how powerful it is. Well, and it's set up in white, especially by Sunblade Samurai, right? The four and a white four, four that you can ditch to go find a planes. Yes, which I have two copies of in this deck. So then if that weren't enough recursion for you, we also have a season of renewal. Great. We also have a Shigeki Jukai Visionary. Oh my That's God, the one I didn't green. see the Shigeki hiding <laughs> yeah. out in the two drop slot. One in a green for a one three and you can pay one in a green to tap it, return it. Uh, to your hand, reveal the top four cards of your library. You can put a land card from among them onto the battlefield tapped, put the rest into your graveyard, and it has channel for green, green, XX. Discard it, return X target non-legendary cards from your graveyard to your hand. And even an Imperial Recovery Unit, which is the uncommon vehicle that when it attacks, you return target creature or vehicle card with mana value two or less from your graveyard to your hand. So, so many ways to recur stuff. And then the Shigeki can be rebought by either the recovery unit or the season of renewal, and then can rebuy stuff as well. And I've even got a little Raito Sentinel in this deck to self mill, but also to stop myself <laughs> from decking, which both of those were relevant in my matches. That's hilarious. This deck was wildly powerful and went 3060. And then right after that, I drafted another just ridiculous green based deck. That was Reanimator. Now, obviously, it has triple Kappa Tech Wrecker in it, so that's ridiculous. But the real sweet thing is more recursion, double Colossal Sky Turtle, double Okiba Salvage, and a Season of Renewal. So just like, and a Gloom Shrieker. So lots of ways to like, you know, you channel out the Sky Turtles and then reanimate them with Okiba Salvages, etc. Rinse, repeat, and oops, another Raito Sentinel for self-mill and not decking. And this also went 3-0. So just back-to-back silly recursion value power decks. Yeah, Season of Renewal Sky Turtle is not something I have done yet, and I am very much looking forward to when that deck comes together for me. Yeah, highly, highly recommend. And I got to say, like, I mean, we'll get into this a little bit later, I think, in the episode, but I I just want to say that I think the format has sort of shaken out for me, and maybe I was just a little too late to the party, but especially after talking last week about splashing and the fixing in the format and really, you know, getting to talk to you about what cards matter or just like, you know, I think one of the things that this format feels to me is like there's not really synergy like it's just the the cards have synergy but they're also rawly powerful and so your pick orders don't often change from draft to draft and so i'm really just feeling like i have a good sense of these are the cards that matter these are the cards that don't and i just want to cast the cards that matter so much of the time when i can <laughs> and so i just am t- like i first picked uncharted haven the other day I first picked a Sunblade Samurai the other day in one of those drafts, actually, the one where I had all that recursion, because I was like, look, I know Imperial Oaths are just getting passed around the table, so 
I'm just going to take the Sunblade Samurai because that's going to help enable me to be able to splash this Imperial Oath that I'm almost certainly going to see and then want to cast, right? It's going to be the best card I see when I see it. And so I just want to be able to cast those cards. And that has felt, I mean, felt pretty freeing in the draft in terms of just like, I don't know, it feels like that matrixy thing of like Neo seeing, you know, the code. <laughs> and I just feel like I see a pack of cards and I'm like, these are the things that matter and the rest is just you know, it's just noise. Well, and I will say in 17 lands favor, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about data this episode. A lot of the data does just line up with what the good cards are, because the good cards, as you said, are rawly powerful and the raw power is synergistic. So if you just follow the win rate data for a lot of the cards, you are going to do a lot of winning. I think there are very few misleading things about the data in this format. I, I think I mean, one of my big takeaways for data, and I honestly, first of all, I can't believe that you just said that. You're like, <laughs> if you look at the data, it's actually going to, it's actually pretty helpful. Um, but I think that for my like interpretation of data or my, the way I use the 17 lanes data. If I think a card isn't good, but the data says it's good, it's really hard, you know, with, I guess maybe fall of Lord Conda as the exception, but it's really hard for me to ignore that. I'm just like, the data is probably right. If I think a card is good and the data says it's bad, I don't, I will often trust myself over the data in that respect. Like, you know, something like, I feel like Dragon Spark Reactor is a good example of a card that I still think is is good i think it's much narrower than we even initially thought you know we were sort of throwing around zenith flare comparisons early in the format i don't think it's there at all but i do think that it has a place in the format and can be quite good i just think it's probably overplayed and and uh poorly utilized a lot of the time and that's representative of its bad win rate yeah i don't actually love Dragon Spark Reactor. I played with it a bunch you, at the start you don't of the format. Like Dragon Spark Reactor because you had that <laughs> deck where you were like yelling at chat about red being good and you got like four of them in one deck and that deck went 03. That's why you don't like Reactor. That's <laughs> not true. That is a data point in my dislike <laughs> of Dragon Spark Reactor. But yeah, maybe th- that might not be the best example. Like that that card I do think is 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 super narrow, but oftentimes when it, I will often trust myself if the data is not representative but I think if it, if it says the card is good, like it's hard to argue with Okiba Reckoner Raid and Imperial Oath and Spirited Companion at the top of the list, you know? Yes, I completely agree that that is true. And I think whatever my feelings are about data, <laughs> I do like recognize that it is a part of magic and that we're going to incorporate it into our podcast because it's a really good tool to use, you know, whether or not I personally... Are you be, is there like it. a gun being held to your head? Are you feeling okay? <laughs> I'm what okay. happened I'm okay. to you? Okay, you're okay? All right, I'm good, sweet. I'm good. All right, well, uh, let's let's get to this draft log. Yeah, if you want to take a seat at the round table here, pack one, pick one, see the following cards as options. Commons, there's not a lot of good ones. If you subscribe to the red is underdrafted at the moment theory, you could maybe think about a voltage surge. Red instant uh, as an initial cost to cast it. You can sacrifice an artifact. Deals two damage to a creature or planeswalker. And if you sacrifice the artifact, it does four damage instead. Best common for my money is probably Moon Circuit Hacker. That's one in a blue for a 2-1 with Ninjutsu Blue. When it deals combat damage to a player, you can draw a card. If you do discard a card, unless it entered the battlefield this turn. Moving on to the uncommons, there's a Skyblast Samurai. I think that's worse probably to start with than either of the other two mentioned cards. It's the six and a white 4-4 Flyer. 
uh, costs one less to cast for each enchantment you control. There's the red shrine if you wanted to do some shrine nonsense, but I don't think that's really in consideration. And then the rare teachings of the Kirin, one in a green. Chapter one, you mill three cards and make a one one colorless spirit token. Chapter two, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control. And chapter three, this flips into Kirin touched Orachi, which is a one one enchantment snake monk. And whenever it attacks, you choose one, exile a creature from a graveyard and make a one one colorless spirit token. Or exile target non-creature card from a graveyard when you do put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control. So I feel like I've had, maybe not recently, but certainly earlier in the format, had folks wondering why Teachings of the Kirin was a good card. And again, like just think about the things that you get from it for two mana, right? You know, if you, I think about like, why is Life of Tashiro Mizawa good? Well, for many reasons, but like at its floor, it's a two mana, two, three that gains you four life, right? That's very good. And this is a two mana, two, two, and a one, one with just upside from there, right? Flexible in terms of where you can put the counter, self mill matters. Maybe you even get another one, one from the attack that rarely happens, but sometimes you can get, you know, the one, one or the plus almost one counter off the attack with it, you know, exiling something from your opponent's graveyard. Maybe that matters, whatever. Um, It's just like, it's just a bunch of little things that are all good together for just two mana. Yes, completely agree. And I think, you know, we're going to get into this a little more into the meat of the episode, but one of the things we drastically underrated about sagas was we spent a lot of time debating like how much of a drawback it was, you know, getting uh-huh. the card on delay. And the answer in the context of the format is almost none. So if you just look at the things as you get them all, like that's basically how you should evaluate the sagas. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, that was a big miss. I mean, we were really wrapped up in, is this going to be too slow? What's the speed of the format? And and this is, I mean, it does feel kind of slow as a format-ish. And I don't actually know if that's true. Like, I haven't looked at any of the stats of like how how many average turns or, or does this format have versus others. Um, but, you know, I've never really felt like we've had such like insane value late game stuff, you know, people trading their Imperial Oaths back and forth, etc. Um, and so you just, you have time for all these sagas to flip. Absolutely. I played a banger of a game this week in one of the drafts I did where my opponent and I each cast three Imperial O's. It was awesome. That's wild. Yeah, yeah. All right. So pack one, pick one. What do you land on here? I would take Teachings of the Kieran here. I still like, for all the praise I'm giving it, I still think it's probably not like, I would probably give it a C plus. I don't think it's B minus territory for me, but this is just a pretty weak pack in, and I've seen a lot of like man, I just talked to you about packs where I or drafts where I pack one picked one Uncharted Haven or pack one pick one Sunblade Samurai. Like I've been seeing a lot of weak packs a lot of the time in this format. Well, yes, and weak in the sense that you know if you're not playing with the Blossom Prancers and the Besage mm-hmm. Reaches Skywards of the world, like you need to be doing something really special to compete with those cards because you're going to be playing against them draft in and draft out. Right. And that's and, and you have to like think about, I mean, again, we the, one of the things we keep returning to in this modern age of magic is this idea of don't be mid-range. And I definitely think that this is that kind of a format where like you either if you're gonna go long, if the if your deck isn't aggressive, which not a lot of decks in this format are, and if you're gonna go into the mid to late game, you gotta be able to compete with the season of renewals of the loops of the you know whatever the value of the sagas the blossom prancers the the sage reach of skyward as ben is talking about or whatever the the oni cult anvil grind that some red black decks can use like you just gotta have a plan for those you can't just be like i've got a deck of good cards and a good curve yeah that might cut it sometimes but you're probably going to get outclassed right 
All right, so we slam Teachings of the Cure, and maybe not slam. We put it into our pile. Pack one, <laughs> we'll, pick one. We'll draft, we'll draft it uh, cautiously. And I think I'm a little higher on it than you are. I think I'm more B-ish on it. I could see it being B-. I'm, I'm not married to my C-plus grade. And then I was not thrilled about this. Like, basically at this point, I'm hoping to not start green. Like, to draft green, I want to get smacked in the face with the good green uncommons. But I'm a little wary at this point of going into green. So took the Teachings of the Kirin, and then pack one, pick two, saw the following cards as options. Commons, there's Simeon Sling, if you're about the red life. Red for a 1-1, equipped creature gets plus one plus one. Whenever it or the equipped creature becomes blocked, deals one damage to defending player, and it's got a reconfigured cost of two. There's Moon Snare Specialist, the Man-O-Ninja. <laughs> Three and a blue for the 2-2 with Ninjutsu, and when it ETBs, you bounce a creature. There's Intercessor's Arrest, two and a white, Enchant Permanent. Enchant Permanent can't attack, block, or crew vehicles, and its activated abilities can't be used unless they're mana abilities. And then in the Uncommons, there's sort of a tale of two sides of the format here. There's Patchwork Automaton, which is, I think, the best payoff for the artifact deck. Whoa. Uh, it's two mana, one, one, ward two, and whenever you cast an artifact spell, you put a plus one, plus one counter on Patchwork Automaton. You, aren't, you don't feel about that way? More than Oni Cult Anvil? Yeah, I do. Oh my God, I'm nowhere near that. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting to me. I mean, I think it is a red card, like when you look at it, but it is a beating when it comes down on turn two. Hmm, yeah, okay. Yeah, I think Patchwork Automaton is crazy powerful and a pretty strong incentive to try to draft red. And then there's Generous Visitor, also green for the 1-1. One, one. When you cast an enchantment spell, put a plus and plus one counter on a target creature. So I think immediately you're ruling out the commons here and you're trying to decide between for me generous visitor and patchwork automaton and i almost took patchwork automaton here but that feels a little crazy since visitor yeah. into teachings is such a clean start to the draft yeah i, I mean i've cooled on visitor quite a bit actually since the start of the format you know like when i thought that green white was like this aggressive ish deck I was excited about Visitor, but the problem with Visitor is that you need it in your opener to be good, and it also isn't really doing what green does. Like, beefing up your creatures is, like, fine, but green just oftentimes goes over the top of even that, you know? Like, it's not really about incrementally growing your stuff, even though that's good, but it's not, like... I used to think it was just like this amazing engine, but I'm I'm sort of off of it. And like obviously, like there's a there's a lot of you know Blossom Prancer, Tech Wrecker, and Besage Reaches Skyward. Those are better on commons than this. Yes, hundred percent, completely agree. Yeah, so I took the generous visitor here, and I think it is the right pick. But again, I'm feeling badly about this start to the draft. Whereas week one of the format, I'd have been like, yes, sign me up. Let's take all the good green cards. You know, I agree that this isn't like it an insane start to a draft, but this is a good, I don't understand why you're feeling bad about this. You had, this is a good start to a draft. I think green is pretty contested in the best of one cues right now. And these huh. green cards, it sort of feels like getting into green for commons at, to me right common. now, because I don't have the really good green on commons yet. So essentially I have green cards that really want me to be green because they're early green cards, but I don't have an actual strong reason to be green, but these are going to incentivize me to pick more green cards. So that's like sending huge warning signals off to me right now. Okay, yeah, I think when you put it in that context, I, I can get behind it. All right, so moving on to pack one, pick three with the Generous Visitor and a Teachings of the Kirin. See the following cards as options. Only green card in the pack, Tales of Master Sashiro, four and a green for the saga. Chapters one and two, you put a plus and plus one counter on target creature reveal to control and give it vigilance until end of turn. And it flips into a 5-5 five, five, Vigilance Haste. I always have to check if that creature has Trample. I always want it to have Trample. It never does. 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It only has vigilance and haste. <laughs> and then the rest of the pack is kind of a dud. There's a papercraft decoy, the two one that when it leaves the battlefield, you can pay two. If you do, you draw a card. The rare is still here. It's scrap welder, two and a red for the three, three that lets you sack an artifact with mana value X and return an artifact card with mana value less than X from your graveyard to the battlefield. And it gains haste. There's a Kami of Terrible Secrets, the 3-4 that can draw you a card and gain you a life if you have an artifact and an enchantment. But there's nothing particularly exciting here. Yeah, I mean, with your with what you've done, you take Tales of Master Sashiro. I mean, I guess there's a world where had you taken Patchwork Automaton last pick, then I think you take Scrap Welder this pick. Um, for folks who haven't played with Scrap Welder, it is really good, I think, in Red Black, especially with Virus Beetle and Experimental Synthesizer specifically, because being able to sack your Beetle to get back your Synthesizer is just insane value. But I think this is a pretty easy Tales. And like, yeah, do you wish you weren't taking Tales third? do you wish that there were more green cards in this pack like are you a little nervous yes but still i still think this is a fine start to a draft i agree it's a fine start but my spider sense is tingling that this is a dangerous start as well like if green's open we're gonna be thrilled if green's cut we're pretty much having to jump ship and start from scratch yeah that's definitely true all right so we grab the tails moving on to pack one pick four see the following cards as options only green card in a pack is commune with spirits there's as far as the rest of the commons go, a searchlight companion, three mana for the 1-1 one, one flyer. When it ETBs, you make a 1-1 one, one colorless spirit creature token. There's also Ninja's Kanai, the equipment that lets you deal three. And then moving on to the uncommons, we've got some bangers here. There's still Selfless Samurai, one and a white for a 2-2. Two, two. And whenever it or uh, any samurai or warrior you control attacks alone, it gains lifelink until end of turn. And then you can sack it to give any creature you control indestructible until end of turn. And then there's also Dockside Chef, Mr. Ramen himself, black for the one, two. And you can pay one and a black, sack an artifact or a creature to draw a card. Is Dockside Chef a banger? Um, Maybe not a banger. That's maybe overselling it. <laughs> okay. I was like, am I missing it? Because I was, again, Dockside Chef is a, a great example of a card, another card like Generous Visitor that I was really high on, really excited about at the start of the format, and have cooled pretty much on. Like, I think it's fine. Like, I'll, I, I don't think I would ever cut it from a black deck, um, but that's partially, I think, because of types. Like, you don't often have sack fodder for this, I think. I agree. I think it's uh, like right on the borderline of C plus B minus. Definitely worse than something like Okiba Reckoner Raid. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think for my money, it's, you have two choices here. I think you can stay green and take Commune with Spirits, which is good with what you've drafted so far. Or you can take the best card in the pack, which I think is Selfless Samurai. So that's, I think, what I would lean on. Um, but I think I would respect taking Commune. Interesting. I landed on the Dockside Chef as, you know, maybe I can keep this green start. It's an enchantment that plays well with the Generous Visitor. I know I'm going to have a 1-1 laying around with Teachings of the Kirin. It felt like mm -hmm. Dockside Chef, if I were branching into another color, paired better with the cards I've already drafted than Selfless Samurai. Yeah, I, that's fair. So Samurai, I think, is maybe more intrinsically powerful but is perhaps not going to be at its best in green-white, though it does play well with odes that you're likely to see because I don't, people just don't take that card. Um, I hadn't considered the chef's synergy with both Visitor and Teachings of the Kirin, given that like you get two you know, flimsy bodies that you might want to sacrifice. Uh, I can buy that. Yeah, so I did land on the Dockside Chef here over the Samurai, and I agree that Samurai's a better card. Pack one, pick one in a vacuum, for sure. Mm -hmm. All right, moving on to pick five. Another weak pack here. Only green card in the pack is green. Greater Tanuki, 4GG for the 6-5 Trample, and you can channel it 
tune a green, discard it, search your library for basic land card, put it on the battlefield, tapped, and then shuffle. Other options in the pack, there's a Sunblade Samurai, uh, the four and a white 4-4 Vigi that you can channel for two to go get a basic planes and gain two. There's also Imperial Recovery Unit in the Uncommons, two and a white for the 3-4 vehicle that whenever it attacks, you can return target creature card with mana value two or less from your graveyard to your hand. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty weak pack. I think, you know, had you taken the Selfless Samurai last pack, you could make a case for taking something like Sunblade Samurai, which I would take over the Recovery Unit, I think, though... Recovery unit does play really well with well, selfless, selfless samurai. samurai. Yeah, I've gotten got by that from opponents several times this format. Maybe I would make that choice instead. But given what what you have, I think this is a pretty clear greater Tanuki. And I think your your feelings of sadness are deepening at this point. Yeah, I'm I'm really worried, right? Because I'm pretty all in on green right now. And it's going to be tough if green doesn't flow. For not good reasons. Like this is the thing I think, you know, this isn't, again, this is not a bad start. If you looked at a green deck that included Generous Visitor, Teachings of the Kirin, Tales of Master Sashiro, and Greater Tanuki, you wouldn't be like, what happened? This went horribly wrong. But you would need other stuff. Like I would have to be like, what do you have in this deck that really makes you want to play green? Because if it's just commons, you're going to get in trouble. And my feeling about drafting green has been that if you're supposed to be drafting green, I should be seeing more green than I am right now. Like we've had pretty much one green option per pack and none of them Mm -hmm. have been good. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty worried right now. Yeah, that makes sense. Moving on to pack one, pick six. I think that suspicion is confirmed with zero green cards in the pack here, which is a Pretty big yikes. So cards that are options, there's a Spirited Companion, one and a white for the 1-1. When it ETBs, you draw a card. And then as far as other commons besides that, there's Network Disruptor. If you like the blue life, blue for the 1-1 flyer. When it ETBs, you tap target permanent. And then there's also an Experimental Synthesizer, red for the artifact. When he enters or leaves the battlefield, exile the top card of your library. Until end of turn, you can play that card. You can sack it for two and a red to make a 2-2 Samurai. What a wild ride I went on with that card. I like thought it was terrible in preview season. And then like day one, I was like, oh, this is the best common in the format. And then, yeah, I don't It's like I still think it's the best red common. But I think, you know, I don't know. My feelings about red have certainly shifted uh, over the past few weeks. This this is I mean, obviously, it's a bit of a disaster given that you aren't seeing any green cards. But it's nice that you're seeing a spirited companion pick six. Right. And it pairs well with all my green cards. So maybe even if we're cut out of green, I'm thinking I can go green, white, you know, maybe still make good use of the green cards I've drafted. So grab the Spirit and Companion. The draft rounds out. Next pick, I pack up an Imperial Oath, pick seven, with a Bamboo Grove Archer still in the pack. Pick eight, get a Naomi Pillar of Order. And then pick nine, actually wheel some playable cards here and Repel the Vial and Papercraft Decoy, pick 11, wheel a Kami of Terrible Secrets, pick 12. Boom, and baby. I actually end up not going green. Ended up with a very good black-white deck that went 7-1. Yeah, this deck is beautiful. Double Companion, double Virus Beetle, double Kami of Terrible Secrets, triple Imperial Oath. This deck is a beaut. Yeah, it's just exactly what you want a black-white deck to look like in the format, I think. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, this is this is just like, oops, all great commons and above. Like, Imperial Oath, <laughs> Virus Beetle, Spirit of Companion, Okiba Reconorade. What are those? The top four commons in the set, basically? Yeah. Yeah. 
Amazing. Yeah, that's a, a great, great draft, dude. That's a really good draft log. Yeah. And I think that ha- more often than not has been what's been happening in the format, I think, at least in the best of one. I think it is dangerous. And, you know, we've been saying that for a while, but that draft really hammers home. You have to have the good green uncommons, I think, to really want to be green. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, again, because of of what we feel like about what the green decks do, like if you don't have that power and that ability to go late, you're just going to get outclassed at some point in your league. Yes. All right. So let's talk about maybe some big picture stuff and then get into card specifics, data, game in hand, win rate, percentages, all that good stuff. Yeah, and it's just sort of a re-review here, almost in some senses. Just a look at the format, cards we missed on, cards we hit on, and why those cards are good in the format. Mm-hmm. All right, well, first up, sagas are extraordinarily powerful, right? That is, when we think back to this format, that's what we're going to remember, right? Yes, absolutely sagas. And I think we alluded to it earlier, but we really missed on this in the set review because we were yes. so caught up in the timing of getting the creature on a two turn delay was that too punishing you know something like besager reaches skyward i had it a c plus and had to talk you up to a c plus right that's crazy or you know long reach of night we disagreed on just so many things because of the body coming down later and i think the answer is what we said just evaluate them like you get all the stuff up front and that is about the power level of the card yeah. Next point you have here is Virus Beetle is the truth, which is another thing that we kind of missed on. I mean, I think we both gave it a C plus probably, but it's it's better than that, right? It's way better than that. Yeah, definitely pulls you into black and it really can take advantage of, you know, people playing those two drop sagas. It's interactions with every other card in its color and a lot of the cards in the format are just super duper favorable in in its intrinsic power level and its synergy with other cards. And I think the thing that was hard to know going into the format was that the card that your opponent has to discard matters because so many of the cards can let you filter or you really want to hit land drops. Every card is important. Yeah, every card matters. This having types matters, right? It being an artifact in a color that cares about artifacts plus enchantments. I definitely thought the like artifact plus enchantment thing about black was going to feel trinkety, was going to be like, yeah, maybe you get this to come together a lot of the time. I didn't realize like, no, Kami of Terrible Secrets is just great and is like a real thing that you want to try and enable a lot of the time. And this being one of black's consistent cheap ways to do that is important and the fact that like sometimes you get to pick this up in a color that has ninjas is also really powerful there's just a lot of boxes that it checks next little factoid about neo here red doesn't play well with the other colors and is super aggressive and i think we nailed that in our very first episode after playing with a format for just a couple of days. Yeah, I think we had had a good sense of red, perhaps didn't have a good sense of red in terms of its relationship with the rest of the format and the relative power of it. But I think really understood, look, it doesn't matter like what red is doing with the other colors, it matters what red is doing with itself. Right, I think we understood how to maximize red, but not that you shouldn't try to maximize red. <laughs> yeah, so have you had any experience either with or against this like the mono red menace that seems to be sweeping the uh the twitter streets these days yeah it's really good Uh, and i think it's super real and best of one and you just sometimes get in pods where people don't take red cards and you wheel red cards that shouldn't wheel and every pod at least one seat is supposed to be drafting red probably not more than one seat so if you're in in a pod where you feel like two people are trying to draft it you don't want to be one of those two people but 
if it's obvious that your pod is off red, I think it is the right thing to do. And I think it's really powerful when it comes together. Yeah, I agree. Next point is that black is very flexible. And I think this is another thing that we nailed pretty early on, especially, I mean, even when we did our sagas episode where you were trying to talk me up on green, I was like, you know, I think black might be the best color in the format. And I do think that's where... Is that where we've we've shaken out here? Yeah, I don't know. It just depends. <laughs> it depends on what kind of a pod you end up in. I do think black is the most consistently powerful color to draft at common. If you yeah, if you're at a table of bends, black is the best color because yes. it's, it's not so tied up in getting busted on commons. Unless we're all trying to draft black, in which case it all falls apart. Sure, sure, sure. But I mean, you know, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yes, if you're at a table of, of good players, yes. Yeah. Then I think <laughs> I think you would you would land on black being the best color. And it's just, and I think it's because its commons are so good and or at least the ceiling of its commons are so good. And it also provides, you know, those powerful sagas as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, even it took us a while though, even after knowing that black was flexible to appreciate how powerful the flexibility that black offers is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think one of the things that I feel like we come to every set is this like color X plays well with all four colors. If that exists, I think that color is really strongly in contention for best color in the format. You think about, I mean, blue was really busted in uh, midnight hunt partially because of Organ Hoarder, but also because all of the blue decks were decks you were happy to play, right? Especially when we were thinking about, well, red is sort of awkward. Even blue-red was a good deck. Yeah, for sure. Next up, greens uncommons are busted, but the commons are really flat. And I think initially, at least, we missed, certainly before playing with the cards, a lot on how good and how truly powerful many of greens uncommons are like we nailed blossom prancer but that's about it i think we were way low on capitec wrecker way low on Bosage reaches skyward low on spinning wheel kicks so many of them i think we were just too low on yeah for sure and i think a lot of those are cards we're going to touch on specifically later on on the show mm -hmm. uh imperial oath is a powerful late game card at common we really missed on this card and we'll, we'll talk about it specifically in a little bit as well removal even less good than usual i think if there is anything that our show has been consistent on, <laughs> it is that removal is overrated. And I am very proud that that message is starting to, I think, become more commonly accepted. And I think even knowing that and even having that baseline stance for the show, we didn't understand just how many two for ones, three for ones, four for ones. There are an absurd amount of ways to two for one your opponent in this format. And all of that means that removal is less good. Well, that ties back to our first point about not understanding how busted the sagas were, right? And that because the removal not being good is partially because of how busted the sagas are, is that they've already done something by the time they enter the battlefield. And then you're not only wrapping in the fact that, okay, well, Imperial Oath is a three for one in that respect. Like, are you going to kill one of those two twos with your Kami's Flare? No. Okay. Also, Spirited Companion and Virus Beetle actually feel like things that matter on the board for various reasons because they can be... You know, you could pick up Companion with Geothermal Kami, or you can Ninjutsu the Virus Beetle. Like, these are things that you actually will have to deal with at some point, or they have types that matter, etc. Like, it's hard to, I, I'm not going to like, you know, I don't feel like we we missed on this for sure, but it, there's so many contextual things that I think it would have been hard to figure that out. But yes, this has to be one of the the most extremes in the spectrum of removal doesn't really matter. Well, and there's different format constructs that could come together where that wasn't the case. I mean, even something like 
as simple as Imperial Oath, costing four white white to where it's not splashable. Uh-huh, yeah. And there aren't good tools to get you to six mana. Like maybe there's no spirited companion, you know? Like, so all these dials go into what makes up the format. And I think that's what we're going to try to dive into a little more specifically here when we start taking a look at individual cards. And I want to say, like, because I say this on stream a lot, and I say, like, well, removal doesn't matter in the format. And I, I feel like sometimes that's questioned or, you know, I'm asked to elaborate on it. I don't mean that I'm not playing removal. And I certainly think there are cards that are, we'll talk about Twisted Embrace and why that's maybe an exception. I, I'm not, like, trying to not have interaction in my deck. But it's not something that I'm going out of my way to get, you know, and especially like diminishing returns of like, you know, I'm sure I'll play a commies flare, but I don't, I don't need to prioritize the second one or a master's rebuke. Sure. But I definitely don't need to prioritize the second one there. Like, it's just not, do I anticipate I'm going to need to kill some things? Yeah. But that's not generally what the games are about in my experience. Right. I think a better way to frame it maybe, or a succinct way to frame it is that you need to be able to interact with your opponent. So you need removal, but interacting with your opponent shouldn't be your primary game plan. Yeah, that's a really, yeah, great, great way to, to phrase that. We'll cut out everything I said before that. <laughs> <laughs> the next point here is that there are not a lot of cards that change your pick order. You know, I, I think this is, again, one of the biggest mental shifts or whatever for a format is that sometimes you have cards that you're like, oh, I want to go hard after this as a strategy. You know, we talk about uncommon build-arounds a lot of the time. There aren't really cards like that. I would say like Containment Construct is a card that makes me go, I mean, it says like a secret blue card, but then I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I'm going to value Network Terminal a little, little higher, or I'm going to try and get into blue for Modern Age, and now I'm like happy to take Sky Swimmer Koi, etc. But there's not really a lot of cards that change my pick order. I'm just taking the best cards or I'm taking fixing and, you know, finding my lane that way. Right. And I think red and the artifacts synergy stuff does have cards that change your pick order, which was why it was so appealing to draft. Like I saw that red picture coming together and went after it hard in the early days of the format. And it just turned out that all of the busted sagas were too powerful and too intrinsically synergistic with their power level for you to even be incentivized to try to do the red artifact synergy stuff that changes your pick order. And I think if there's a knock against the format for me, that is it. Yes. There there are not lots of cards that make the pick orders of things dynamic during the draft portion. It feels similar-ish to Vow in a way, because Vow didn't have build-arounds either. Vow did have cards that changed your pick order because you were supposed to give so much weight to the rares that you took in terms of changing how you navigated drafts. This format doesn't really have a lot of bombs like that. But so then the drafts, I don't know if they feel like samey to me, but you know, if you can get Imperial Oaths every draft, which you basically can, then like I think you're just supposed to draft anticipating that. And I think that sort of makes the drafts, I don't know, not feel the same, but I think you sort of approach them the same way draft in and draft out. Right. To me, the recipe is pick the good cards and then fill your deck out with cards that make your good cards better. Yeah, for sure. Next up, we've got fixing being readily available. And I think even prior to playing with the cards, we nailed this in the Crash Course episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got some pushback in the discord about our love for ecologists terrarium last week. And I gotta say, I still like the card. <laughs> I, I've really <laughs> found it to be a high pick. I don't know. Like I've, I like it like Uncharted Haven. And I do think it being two mana. And also, you know, if you anticipate that you're going to have to play a basic land for splashes a lot of the time, which I think you, you do that like terrarium locking up effectively two sources 
be because it can count itself plus the basic land. I, I don't know. I, I have liked it as a, a card and it being an artifact that just hangs around on the battlefield that you can tap with your network terminal, etc. I think the Terrarium is good. But also, yeah, Uncharted Haven and the Dual Lands, especially after our conversation last week, have like skyrocketed in my pick order. Yes. And the last point here is that it's a synergy format. But the most powerful cards are also synergistic, which is why your pick order doesn't change that much. Yeah. All right, big data boy. What do we got going on next? All right. So we're just going to take a look at a lot of the best performing cards in the format and some other cards, too, and just see kind of where we're at. Did we evaluate them right? How do they kind of drive what matters in the format? So just to give everyone a baseline in Neon Dynasty. Average 17 lands win rate is 55.6, which I think is higher than usual. So maybe we're getting better. Ooh, yes. Good. Good for us, 17 lands community. Yeah. So moving on to commons that we want to take a look at. I think first up, we're going to take a look at the top performing common overall by games in hand win rate, which is Okiba Reckoner Raid coming in with a 60.9% win rate. That is really impressive i am kind of sad that it has currently unseated imperial oath at the top spot i did want <laughs> i wanted to end the format with a six drop as the best performing common i am not sad i'm, I'm very <laughs> glad that it's okiba reckoner raid and i think it's kind of insane to me if you look at the game in hand win rate cards that are above this which are all uncommons rares or mythics every single one of those cards is a two for one or more, a three for one, four for one, whatever, in some sort of fashion. And there are 27 cards in the set that are ahead of Okiba Reckoner Raid. Wow. I would also be curious about what, like, whatever, the top performing common in a format, how many cards are above it? Because I would have to imagine that 27 is a low number. Like, I'm sure in Vow, whatever the top performing common was in that format was much lower. I bet, I wonder, like, wh where does Organ Hoarder stack up against the rares in Midnight Hunt or whatever? Oh, it's got to be top 10, I bet. No? Maybe not that high, but yeah, probably close to that. And one of the things we're also going to do with this is take a look at what grade we initially gave it and where we think it lands. So in the crash course, we gave this a B minus. And I think I would still give Okiba Reckoner Raid a B minus. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe it's a B, but like, you know, just identifying th that distinction, I think is not super important. And maybe some people would call it a B plus. I don't know. That distinction is not super important to me. But I think the that threshold of does this pull you into black? I think we identified that going into it. And that's definitely true. Yes. And I think just to go back to big picture things about Neo, if I had to pick out the things that matter most about the format, it's that it's full of two for ones. And many of those two for ones are the sagas. And that because of that, the removal is less good. I think that that sums up the format to me in a nutshell there. Yes. And that, yeah, wait, that's a really good point. I think we've touched on that in previous episodes, but is important, I think, in the context of us, you know, one of our tenets of the format being removal isn't good. I think it is important to like hammer that home. Why is removal not good? Well, because everything is a two for one. When everything's a two for one and you're one for oneing with removal, that isn't that good. And that's why spinning wheel kick is sort of an exception to that, sort of why twisted embrace is an exception to that, because it does multiple things. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But first, we got to talk about Imperial Oath. This has a 60.7% game in hand win rate currently. And a card like this being good has a lot of implications for the format, right? Yes. If it's, if this is good, by virtue of this being good, it means removal has to be less good, right? Because this is three bodies spread across one card that you're trying to deal with, with removal spells that are targeted. Well, and if this is good, it's also splashable and at common. One of the things we talk, talked about last week is that like oftentimes like whatever control decks, quote unquote, in limited have to exist at 
uncommon or rare, right? You have to have uncommon or rare reasons to get the game to go long. Well, in this format, you have a common that like pays you off because you get to six mana and then the scry three is so important because you just bottom one or two lands or a spell that's not relevant and dig towards more action, chain together Imperial Oaths. It being a single white mana because it's splashable is very relevant. I mean, I'm embarrassed that I gave this a D plus at the beginning of the format. I gave it a C minus, so I am not doing much better than you. And I think in our defense, it's a six drop common. Yeah. (laughs) But the actual grade right now, I think it's a B minus. And it's not a pull into white. It's a pull into Imperial Oathing. Yeah, right. I mean, it's a it's a colorless card, as a lot of content creators have have deemed it uh, previously. I, and I think I agree with that. It's just just a good card that you should be drafting in a lot of your decks. Next up, we've got Spirited Companion coming in with a 60.2 game in hand win rate. And initially, we give this a grade of a B minus. And I think it still lands at a B minus. But let's dive deeper into what's actually going on with Spirited Companion in the format. What does it do for you? What does it say about the format? Okay, so we've seen, whatever, two mana, three mana cantripping creatures before, and they're never bad, right? The last time we saw, I think, exactly a two mana version of this was Dusk Legion Zealot in Rivals of Ixalan, which was in black, and it lost you a life as well as drew you a card as a one mana, or as a two mana one one. Um, And that was good. So these cards are, are often good, right? You're not like, you're not surprised that this is performing well. But the additional things about the synergy of this, about it being a card that has relevant types in a format that cares about you having those types on the battlefield, so things care about enchantments coming into play, there's Geothermal Kami that can pick up an enchantment to rebuy it, maybe you're pairing this with blue or black, and you have the ninjutsu thing that you can do with Virus Beetle as well. You also have, you know, one of the reasons that Companion and Virus Beetle are good is that decks care about having types on the battlefield. Well, we're talking about removal being bad, right? Part of the reason is removal is bad. It's like, you don't want to kill Spirit of Companion or Virus Beetle, even though you know it might matter for your opponent's game plan to be like, oh no, know, this, ar- it's so this, bad. this artifact is in play. I don't want them to have an artifact in play, or I don't want them to have an enchantment in play. But what are you going to do? Are you going to really use your Kami's Flare on your Spirited Companion? No. So this card just like, it replaces itself immediately, but then it also is relevant on like by itself. Like it being a one-one enchantment on the board is good. I'll, I think reconfigure also matters too, right? Not that white has reconfigure, but you know, pair it with a color that does, or it can you know crew vehicles. Those are other things that matter that do exist in white. Um, so just like a body lying around to do that. Like I, I feel like I, if you the longer you let me talk, the more things I will come <laughs> up with. That makes Spirit and Companion good in the format. Well, and I think one of the other things that it does, and Virus Beetle also, is that because the sagas are so good, you're incentivized to play the one and two mana sagas. So a lot of times your early plays aren't coming to fruition defensively mm-hmm. until, you know, turn four or turn five, which leaves a window. Normally the Spirited Companion Virus Beetle wouldn't be able to interact that favorably with Ninjutsu because they would just never get in. But a lot of the really good decks in the format don't get their shields up until, you know, turn four, turn five, if they're not playing Bamboo Rove Archer. So you actually do have a window to curve this into ninjutsuing it for extra value. The other thing, and this also ties back into Imperial Oath, is like the creatures are kind of small in this format. I thought going in that like three two twos weren't going to matter. I was like, well, these don't like block particularly well. They're definitely not going to be able to attack. But honestly, three, three two twos with Vigilance actually do have attacks a lot of the time. Right. Harmonious Emergence, the, the three and a green yeah. that makes a four or five Vigilance, is gigantic. Huge. It's yeah. huge. It's literally huge. Yeah. It's so big and cannot be killed by the fall of Lord Conda. Boom. <laughs> All right. 
like all, everything we talked about with the Spirited Companion, you can also say for Virus Beetle, right? 59.6% game and hand win rate, just below Spirited Companion. I think this is another B minus. I mean, we get this a C plus. I think I would I would bump it up for sure. And it's like right there with Okiba Reckoner raid for me. Right. Well, and normally this type of card does not pull you into its color, like no. Ravenous Rats or whatever it is. Yeah. But this has enough other good things going on where artifacts matter. And this is the best artifact you can leave on the battlefield in black. It's got the ninjutsu stuff going on. And the discard matters because every card matters, and it, which is weird because there's so many ways to get card advantage. But it's almost like because there's so many ways to get card advantage, they still all matter. I don't know. I just have felt miserable anytime I have to discard a card of this, and it feels so good casting it. Here's another thing. We don't have this on this list because it's like a card that's like bad <laughs> when we're talking a lot about the cards that are good or matter, is that tying into the thing you're saying of like there's so much card advantage and everything is a two for one, that like raw card advantage also doesn't matter. I think when folks saw that Thirst for Knowledge was being reprinted, we're all like, oh man, crazy, so good. Have you even cast that? I have not cast a Thirst for Knowledge, no. Right? Like, and that card seemed like it would be so good, but you're like, Modern Age does that way better. Like, I just want that all the time. I don't need to put a card that just says draw cards on it when every card in my deck is a two for one. Right. It's a creature that draws you a card. Exactly. All right. We have Twist and Embrace on this list, but I thought removal was bad then. Yeah, I think. And I think that is true. But this is potentially a two for one, right? So I think that's one of the things that is maybe less talked about with Twisted Embrace is that this is a synergistic removal spell. And it's a catch all removal spell, which is pretty important because a lot of the things that you need to kill are hard to kill and this gets the job done. But think about Twisted Embrace. It can be searched up by Shrine Steward, which is huge. I've done that a boatload in the format. You can pick it up with the hot tub commie and recast it and turn it into a two for one that way. So mm-hmm. it has enough interactions that it's not just necessarily one for one removal. I think it has the ceiling and often is, if you build your deck correctly, a two for one catch all removal spell twice, which is pretty good. Well, and also it modifies a creature, which modified is kind of, you know, if, if anything's a miss in the format, it's modified as being something that matters. But still, you do have stuff that cares about things being modified and it oftentimes will just enable an attack which is there's value in that too right if it's like if it not only says kill a thing but also deal your opponent four damage that's a powerful card so it's not quite a two for one in that respect but it's a two one and a half for one or whatever like it's doing more than akami's flare does a lot of the time right and i sort of forgot about this but i have done this as well you can get it back with season of renewal right so that's another way to turn it into a two for one exactly and The removal in the format isn't rated very highly by the data either, right? Right. The next closest removal spell is Master's Rebuke at 57.9. And I would argue that that is misleading because it's it's pulled up by the good green uncommons. I have to assume that that's just getting played in great green decks because Master's Rebuke is not that good of a removal spell. Yeah, that's great. And that's a, a really... Ben is digging a little deeper, right? Ben is saying, okay, Master's Rebuke is not, I think, the second best removal spell at common in the format but it's probably performing well because it's indexed with like some of the most busted non-rares in the set. Well, and that's where, to me, data, and you know, not to get into me trying to crucify data, because we've had that show already, but I think <laughs> I just trust, like I don't need to see the data to disprove the data. I just trust my read on Master's Rebuke, which is that it's a fine removal spell that I'm happy to play a copy of if I'm in green, you know? Mm-hmm. And I would 
put Twisted Embrace again, and we've talked about Reckon Array and Virus Beetle being at B minus, and I'd put Embrace at B minus as well. Yeah, and initially you gave this a B, I gave it a C plus. My hot take was that this wasn't going to be good. That hot take did not pan out. <laughs> wah wah! Look, I respect the take. All right, this is like the new hotness, right? Suit up. This is the uh, blue instant for three mana that makes a creature or a vehicle a four five artifact until end of turn, and you draw a card. This is currently sitting as the best blue common, according to 17 lands. Yeah, 59.5% as the game in hand win rate. And I think this is a good card. This is where, you know, what you were talking about, where the data says this is good. You should probably take notice and try to figure out why. And I think Mm -hmm. this is not the best blue common. I would firmly put my stamp on that. What are your thoughts there? I agree. And I think it's important to look at this is one of the things that I think you can, you know, 17 lands has a lot of columns of information for you. And not only game and hand win rate, but one of the things you can look at is the sample size. And the sample size for suit up is much smaller than the other top blue commons like Modern Age, Moon Circuit Hacker, and Network Disruptor. It's about a third of the games played as those other cards. And so I think one, that leads me to believe that it's been played a lot more recently, right? I think it was that's why it's climbing the ranks. And two, one of the things that I think that lets us know is that maybe not all blue decks want it, right? Or maybe you'll you know, you'll know where you want it or in specific decks it's going to be good. And I do think that's really important, right? That that understanding where this goes or why you would want it in a deck. I don't think every blue deck wants to play suit up where I I do think every blue deck wants to play modern age. Right. But I do think this is a guaranteed two for one. It's hard not to include at least the first copy of this in a blue deck, right? Yeah, well, I I don't know. I'm sure I could come up with some dirtily deck. You know, I don't like to often play combat tricks in my non-aggressive decks, but a lot of your blue decks, you know, if you do have, if you do have, if you have Moon Circuit Hacker and Disruptor and Specialist, you know, you're probably trying to connect with your opponent. And that's one of the reasons that suit up plays so well is that it plays so well with ninjas, right? Your, Your opponent's put in this awkward spot where you attack with your virus beetle and they're like, well, I can't let that hit me. Right. But I also don't want to block it because what if they have suit up? Yeah. And then like you're just put in this terrible spot every combat. Yeah. And our initial grade for suit up was a C. And I think we recognized that this was, you know, better than your average combat trick because we saw the draw because we saw the draw card stapled on there. But I think it is even better than that grade of a C. I think I would give this a C plus, but I still don't quite think it pulls you into blue. Yeah, I agree. Next up, we've got Tamio's Safekeeping coming in at the top performing green common, 58 0.4 game in hand win rate. Is this the best green common? No, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and I firmly put my stamp on that again. Do you have a best green common in your mind? Mm, I think the highest ceiling is probably season of renewal, right? Yeah, I think it, I think season of renewal is probably the most important common to get your hands on, and we have that card next to talk about. It's got diminishing returns, which is sort of the problem, right? You like really want the first one, but don't really care about the second one. I think I would say if I had to pick a best green common, I think I would say fade into antiquity. I think I think I'm on Fang of Shigeki myself. But yeah, I don't think it's Tamio's safekeeping. Okay, so question for you, because I think this is interesting, because I've thought about this a lot recently. Why? I have no idea. But when I don't get to play magic, I spend a lot of time thinking about magic. Do you like fang more than bamboo grove archer as defensive speed because i almost think bamboo Ooh. grove archer is better yeah archer might be better i don't know archer like is one of the reasons i 3 would the team draft uh, <laughs> a couple weeks ago like two copies of that and then a third out of the sideboard were just like aces against our opponents um so i could definitely see it bamboo grove archer has really gone up for me the past week 
because both of them are blocking, right? And I would say yes. that, that Bamboo Grove Archer stopping cards like Virus Beetle and yep. Spirited Companion is big game because you need to be able to block those cards. And then I think it also not dying to life of Toshiro is a huge yeah. boon in its favor. Yeah. I think you just sold me. I think I'm final answer. Bamboo Grove Archer, best green common. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we got I'm him. Seri- I'm serious. That didn't. That was not hard. That didn't take much. Okay. So, so what's going on with Tamiyo's safekeeping? Well, I think you know if you're thinking about why this is performing well, looking at the context of the format, the cards that matter really matter. Removal is not that important, right? So your opponent's only likely to be playing you know two to three removal spells if they're buying into that view of the format. And so the ability to protect your best cards from your opponent's minimal removal spells for a single mana is super powerful. But you can't just jam two Tamiyo safekeepings in your deck and expect to win at a 58.4 clip. I have to assume that this is people playing it appropriately as a one of because it's a disaster to draw two Tamiyo safekeepings in your hand. Well, it's also I think, again, you want to understand the decks where this is going to be good. Sometimes people will suggest this to me on stream as like, oh, do we want to include this? Like, why is that on your sideboard? Or like, I will draft it and immediately put it into my sideboard and not put it in my main deck. And people are like, oh, but I thought safekeeping was good. And I, my response is oftentimes, what do I have that's worth protecting? Like, what do I have that I really care about? My deck isn't like wrapped around one particular thing. And I think part of, you know, we're about to talk about Season of Renewal. I do think Season of Renewal sort of makes, is a little redundant with safekeeping in a sense, because you can just rebuy the things that you have a lot of the time. Yeah, for sure. And speaking of seasonal renewal, it's coming in at a 56.8 game in hand win rate. But I think it is the best an effect like this has ever been where, you know, we've seen a lot of things that let you rebuy two cards. Maybe you get two creatures out of the graveyard. But the fact that this has the ability to let you do loops, as we saw in one of the decks that you showed us at the beginning of the episode with, you know, whether it's Shigeki or it's the turtle. But the fact that you have the ability to do sort of a clear the mind style I definitely am going to win the late game type thing with season of renewal is huge. And I think, you know, we both were pretty low on this initially. We gave it an initial grade of a D and I think it's, it's almost a B minus for the first copy, but you can't pick it aggressively until you have the other good cards that you want to rebuy, right? Once you know, right, once you have the Capitec record and the Besager reaches skyward, once you know you should be in green, then you like, it's this great chain reaction because when you get those good cards, you know almost certainly, like even if there's three other green drafters at the table, you're gonna get good green commons because green's commons all run pretty deep. Um, they're they're fairly flat, but they all run deep. Um, you know you're gonna get those commons, and you know you know that you're gonna want season of renewal to rebuy those cards that are so powerful. Yep, I, I put geothermal kami on this list because I think remember initially we thought. I, th- I think I had, I don't remember what your top green common was. Mine was Jukai Preserver. It was definitely in my top commons if it wasn't my top common. And I was ignoring Geothermal Kami. I gave it a D plus, you gave it a C minus. And we were sort of like, you know, Kami was high in the win rate initially for 17 lands. And I was like, oh, I wonder like where this is going to shake out. It's hard to imagine two four drops in green being good. Kami is miles better than Jukai Preserver. I don't care about Jukai Preserver at all anymore. Yes, Kami is way better. Jukai Preserver just doesn't matter. Like you should, I think, be looking to almost never play Jukai Preserver. That's what I think. Because, well, one of the things that like it's good because you think, oh, well, this is like, it's a four drop, but it's flexible and it lets you push damage. But green doesn't care about that. No, it just wants to win the late game. It just wants to win the late game. And so Kami is actually, I think, not really reflected. Its power is not really reflected by the data. It's the 10th best green common right now. Game in hand win rate is 56.7%. I don't think the data is telling the whole picture of this card. And I think this is better than we initially thought for a number of reasons. 
the incidental life gain does matter. Like just that that tacked on three life is important. It's so backbreaking when you're playing red and your opponent picks up a fang and replays fang and you just right. played like a five mana four three gain three. Uh, your opponent's at four and you're like trying to figure out, okay, if I could top deck this thing and then maybe like, you know, have an alpha strike and then they play Kami and pick something up and are at seven and you're like, oh, I can't win. Right. Cool. Or you're like <laughs> counting up the simian sling turns yeah. and then like yeah. three more turns get added to your simian sling clock. Yeah, no good. A rebuying sagas isn't too slow. You know, we thought the sagas were slow, and then we we're like, oh, God, could you imagine picking these up and then waiting two more turns for them to be creatures? Yes, I can, and that's what you want to be doing. <laughs> yes, please. Thank you. And and we already talked about it, but picking up Twisted Embrace or Spirited Companion is just awesome. I think this is a, a solid C plus in green. Yep, I agree. Experimental Synthesizer is up next at a 57.0 win percentage. And I think one of the things that is crazy about this is that in a format full of two for ones, that is, I think, the defining feature of this format, because there are a bunch of two for ones that aren't sagas as well, that this is Red's only way to get card advantage off of a good card at common. And I think at uncommon, the only card Red gets is Twin Shot Sniper as a clean two for one. And if you compare that to every other two for one that the colors get just a comment don't even forget about sagas at uncommon that are insane great uncommons looking at common white gets imperial oath and spirited companion blue gets moon circuit hacker modern age suit up black gets virus beetle kami of terrible secrets twisted embrace if you're building your deck right green gets geothermal kami season of renewal it is laughable how much easier it is to get two for ones in every other color other than red our initial grade of synthesizer was synergy C plus. I think the actual grade is synergy B minus. But I honestly, like the synergy is just have cheap cards in your deck. Right. Well, and I think that is, you know, if we're looking at what the context of the format is. So if the format is two for ones and every other color gets great two for ones and red doesn't, that's why red is, I think, less desirable to draft, first of all, but then also shows you what you have to do with red. Because if you're not able to compete into the middle and the late stages of the game, you have to go hyper aggro. And I do think that's what red is designed to do in the format. It just doesn't do it quite well enough to really compete with all the two for ones. I'm just like, we got so much pushback when we like loved red in week one. And now that everybody else likes red, I feel like we're going to get so much pushback by being like red is not desirable. <laughs> just like just waiting for the backlash here. Uh, the last common that we want to talk about is Simeon Sling sitting at a 54.7% game in hand win rate which is kind of shocking to me because I think this is the second best red common. It's very good. This card and cards like Tawashi Song Shaper, that's the two mana two drop that gets plus and plus O uh, every time an artifact enters the battlefield. They're way more important to the red decks than their win rate suggests and are way more important than cards like Kami's Flare or especially Voltage Surge are. Yeah, you were right on this initially. I think you said it was a C plus. I said it was a C minus. I think I would come down on a C plus right now. It certainly doesn't make you want to play red, but if you are red... This is one of the most important cards you can pick up for your deck. I agree, for sure. All right, taking a look at some uncommons to send us home here. We've got Beseju Reaches Skyward coming at a 62.7 win percentage. Just a casual three for one. The lands are insanely good here. We initially gave this a C plus. I think it's actually way higher than that. It's more like B plus bordering on A minus. I agree. I agree. Yeah, it just like every it does everything you want to do and just bonus points if you get to rebuy the Beseju land with the second chapter of Beseju Reaches Skyward, which I have gotten to do just once. 
I have won a game in the format due to not decking, thanks to the second chapter of Besager Regis Skyward. <laughs> wow. You're like, I see your second chapter and I raise you not decking. Uh, next up is Life of Toshiro Umazawa, 63.5% game in hand win rate. We talked about this week one about like why this is so good and so deceptively good as well. I'm trying to remember. I think it was maybe Andrew Ellenbogen on Twitter like a week or so ago or two weeks ago was like, why is this card so good and limited? Um, and I think it's it is deceptive, right? Like you look at it, and you're like, eh, like how many X ones are there worth killing? Well, we already talked about two of them, like Companion and Virus Beetle, right? And but Fang. And Fang of Shigeki, sure, sure, sure. But then you also don't like the times where your opponent casts this. And then you go, oh, I can't curve out because I don't want my thing to get killed. Like, I've definitely had, you know, maybe you've channeled something and then you want to play Gloom Shrieker and get it back. And then you're like, oh, I can't play Gloom Shrieker this turn because it's going to die to the second chapter of Life of Jashiro Umazawa. And so it sometimes like prevents your opponent from doing something, even if you don't see that happen. And then there are just times where like they play a searchlight companion. You go, cool, kill that and kill the one one. Great. And then I get a two three and yeah, it's just a great card. Well, for two mana, it just does yes. so much. And I think we were deceived also. We initially gave this a C plus, and I think actual grade I would give it now is a super solid B plus. Yeah, again, again, maybe pushing into A minus territory. Yeah. Long Reach of Night is up next at a 59.9 game in hand win rate. Again, another casual three for one, much like Besaju reaches Skyward. And I think this is better than it looks, right? And I sort of, we talked about this in the crash course. My gut feeling on this card was closer to right than I think yeah. it seemed at first glance, but I wasn't even confident enough in my read to fight you on it. You know, when you presented your arguments, I was like, yeah, you're probably right. This isn't that good. But I was looking at it as three for one, right? Discard a card, discard a card, you get a body. But the body is not that relevant. I'm still a little puzzled as to why this <laughs> is good. And well, my other question for you is, if this is good... Shouldn't Kaido's Pursuit, which is the two in a black discard two cards, be pretty good in the format? And I just can never find room for Kaido's Pursuit. Here's the th so I do th actually think Kaido's Pursuit is good in the format, but I think you're right in the sense of I think you just often have room for better things. Here's why I think Long Reach of Night is so good. One of the reasons I was resistant to this card was for things like Spirit and Companion and Virus Beetle existing in the format. It felt like you're just going to have these like junky things lying around to sacrifice to this if you want, or you discard lands. Well, you've already talked about everything matters, right? Every piece of cardboard in this format matters, whether it's a land or a creature or like a token, whatever, like all these things are mattering. And so sacrificing your spirited companion feels bad. Discarding a land feels bad. Like none of that, you don't feel like you're getting away with anything. And then yeah, the 04 body isn't relevant, but it is a body. Like it just, it's just, it's another piece of cardboard. Everything matters. Well, and it can be picked up too. I guess that's another thing, right? Yeah. Because then the body's lying around to pick up. And the second time around on long reach of night, your opponent probably has a developed board and it probably is actually sacrificed two real creatures. The second time it comes around. I was so uh, it's no longer available, but the bot draft for a couple weeks was uh, was this format. And I was doing that because that's how I've been ranking up recently. And the bots just like insanely underrated blue and black. Like you just could get life of Tashiro Umezawa, like seventh pick or whatever. And I played a game where my opponent cast long reach of night three turns in a row. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm done with these bot drafts. <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> My oldest brother, shout out to Nick, was also uh, playing some bot drafts and was like, look, if you want a piece of tech for the podcast, just tell people to force blue black. <laughs> yep. Yeah, for sure. The last uncommon we want to touch on here is spinning wheel kick coming in at 59.2% game and hand win rate. This is two for one, three for one. So there's a lot of stuff 
wrapped up in this card being good, right? I gave this a D plus initially. This seems clunky as all get out, right? Yeah, I gave it a C, was not super high on it. But the reason that this card is so good is, one, removal isn't good in the format. So the fear of being blown out by you know setting this card up is sort of mitigated because you're not often expecting your opponent to like be holding up mana to blow you out the games go long especially in green green wants the games to go long so it's not hard for this to actually be a two for one three for one four for one we've all i think we've all seen that cast for x equals four for sure and so the fact that you get to have, you know, one of the reasons removal isn't good is because it one for ones. The fact that you get to have a piece of removal that can scale with the game like that, that can scale with things that have already accrued value, makes this a really important piece of Green's puzzle. Yeah. And I think actual grade we'd give it now is more like a B minus. It does almost start to pull you into Green. I think so. I think so. I think it's it's not like one of those busted Green uncommons that are like B plus territory, but I think it's right below those. Yep. So just kind of a a format overview super quickly to wrap us up here. I think this is where my feelings are on the format right now. I think green Mm -hmm. is overdrafted. I would only be looking to get into it for multiple of the very good uncommons. Black, a little underdrafted, and I really like starting drafts black if I can at the moment. Red, I think is pretty dangerous to draft still. I think it is good to draft if it's open. And I think if your draft is starting low powered, I think it is good to try to aggressively hedge into red because that's one of the best ways you can compete if you don't have the really good cards that everybody else has. Blue, I'm not so sure on. I feel like it's a little overdrafted, but maybe that's just personal. I just have not been able to get into blue much, the whole format. Blue, I think, has a bit of like split personality a little bit in the format of like, it it wants to be aggressive because that's what all the tempo ninja stuff does. But does it also like support an artifact theme or an enchantment theme or, you know, and then you just got busted uncommon, behold the unspeakable. I feel like blue, it depends, is blue your support colors or your base color? I feel like it's not quite as clear cut as some of the other colors. Yeah, that checks out with me. And then white as a color, Imperial Oath is still way underdrafted, but that's not even necessarily white. And then I think you're not generally going into white as a main color. I feel like it plays a more supporting role to some of those other colors. It's a great support color, and especially, you know, if you end up in a base, you know, one of the Sultai color pairs, it's just a very easy splash, especially because Oath is so eminently splashable and Sunblade Samurai enables that splash. Yeah. All right. There you have it. That's our re-review looking at data and just kind of how cards shape a format. And I think the format is likely to stay here. And you're just going to have to, when you're in drafts, figure out, you know, if you're in a pod where you can draft Saga nonsense, do that. That's plan A in the format. If you can't, you know, maybe you're looking to get into some sort of a black-white deck, a ninja's deck. If you're in a pod where red's undervalued, draft red. Whatever is open, I think is going to be good in the format. And as a final point here, I would say this is a format where, you know, oftentimes we talk about, you know, pick orders, whatever, you throw them out the window a little bit, or they can change as early as pack one, pick two. I think this format, it's really important to have some kind of a pick order, some kind of a, these are my top commons in each color. These are my top uncommons in each color. These are the cards that matter in a color or a reason to draft a color. Whatever that is, that's going to help you Neo the Neo format if we're thinking about the Matrix analogy <laughs> of like... That's the episode title right there. <laughs> Neo the Neo, yeah, yeah. Uh, Neoing so, the Neo. <laughs> when you can just sort of like see the pack for what it is, see the Matrix for what it is... That's how you're going to get to that point. And I think once you do that, these drafts are going to be a whole heck of a lot easier. I love it. Love it. All right. Great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen.
Thanks so much to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases, signing up for CFB Pro to read that sweet, sweet content, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you over there. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.